We're live. All right. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you, everyone, for joining us this morning. It's a little rainy and windy here in Northern California. However, we are so excited here at the Code Enforcement Network to bring forth another great interview with the awesome Brian Morris. So for those of you that don't know Brian, Brian is the Code Enforcement Director for the city of South Fulton in Georgia. Now, South Fulton, the city of South Fulton is, is a uh, four years new city in Georgia and Brian has the pleasure of leading the amazing code enforcement team in that city. Um, it actually is Atlanta's twin city in Georgia. So there's a lot that we're going to learn today from Mr. Brian Morris. Brian, thank you so much for joining us today. All right. Thank you, Cecilia, for a great introduction and thank you and Pete for having me here today. It's, a, it's an honor and a pleasure to be uh, with you guys. I study you and, and watch you both from afar. And uh, it's just a pleasure to be on here and talk about this this field of code enforcement that we, that we love so much. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, Brian, I think it's always important when we meet someone new, right, to get to know them a little bit. And I know that, you know, our audience is always so keen at getting to know who's out there to establish networks and build our village of code uh, enforcement officers and administrators. So, Brian, can you tell us a little bit about yourself as far as your profession in code enforcement, how you got started, what drew you to it, what led you to today? Okay, uh, sure. But before I do, I, I did bring something just for Pete. I know I, I usually say, Oh, yeah. <laughs> just for you, Pete. <laughs> oh, that was oh, not cool. God. Yes. Well played. Well played. <laughs> so with, with that being said, um, you know, code enforcement to me is just, um, you know, I kind of fell into it. So I've been, I've been in the field of code enforcement for just made nine years, which... Uh, you know, I've been fortunate and blessed to have some some different uh, role models and mentors along the way because that's a relatively short time. However, I feel like it's been 20 years. I feel like this is what I've been doing for a long time. And, and I just uh, I, I went from doing real estate, real estate construction and management through the 2000s. And as you all remember, 2007, 2008, the market went, you know, belly up and I was a part of that that tidal wave that hit the whole entire country. And so I needed a job. I just needed to, you know, I did some hustling and did some different things between there to keep the, keep the bills paid. But I was, you know, starting a family. I needed a job. And I had a family friend that was in the field of code enforcement. And, you know, they knew my work ethic and wanted me to come join. My construction background was beneficial. And I uh, just started out just as kind of a bridge. It was just something to do while I waited on the market to turn or while I waited on another entrepreneurial activity to, to kind of kick off, right? And, uh, you know, just sometimes, man, um, man plans and God laughs, you know? And, and just, it just, things kind of fell into place where a leadership opportunity opened in my previous jurisdiction within about a year and a half. And nobody was there. The, the, the person that brought me in left and left a void. We were honestly not checked on for like 45 days. And so type of person I am, I wasn't the most experienced, but the work had to be done. So I just started doing it, you know, started putting SOPs together, started kind of just taking a leadership position, uh, just more out of necessity to keep things rolling. And I just worked myself into a team lead position and, and just kind of 
worked into uh, elevated from there to a supervisor and, and just kind of worked that process for a couple years. And that's how I got my feet wet. It was just a trial by fire. And, and that's what brought me into code enforcement. And as time went on, uh, I just grew to, to love what we do and, and seeing what the impact it has on a community when it comes to the quality of life, uh, when it comes to the property values. And then most importantly, uh, what it did for me as a person as far as developing skills of reaching out to people, of interacting with different types of people. Um, it was very, code enforcement has been, has been very beneficial for me in that regard because it develops those skills you have to have. You have to be a counselor. You have to be an officer, an enforcer. You have to be part lawyer. You have to be, you know, your son, nephew. You have to be all of these roles in the community <laughs> depending on who you're talking to. So we wear different hats uh, every single day and different times of the day. So I just fell in love with, with the field. So, yeah. Brian, in code enforcement, I can't wear the Atlanta hat, but uh, one, thing, <laughs> one, one thing that, um, you know, kind of always uh, makes me curious, okay, when you were doing that construction, what you saw a code enforcement uh, position open up, what made you think that was for you? I mean, just, just out of curiosity. Pete, honestly, it wasn't at that time. I wish I could say it was, it was, it was divine intervention. It was just something that stood out to me. Uh, but it wasn't that deep at that time. It was just an opportunity that that happened to be there that, that fit my, you know, my skill set. I thought, and out of necessity, had a young family and and needed, I needed a steady check. You know, the the the, the real estate hustle and different things that I was doing was just not lucrative enough at the time because the economy sucked. So it was, and I tell I tell people this all the time. It was a. It was twenty eight nine was a salary twenty eight thousand nine hundred, and I happily accepted it because I needed it at that time. So it was just as simple as that. It was it was an opportunity there, uh, some stability for my family, and I jumped at it. And, and you know you know one thing that I so in code enforcement you know I, I sometimes teach a class about code enforcement and marketing and all, all this and that and I would show a picture of the Breakfast Club because we're a pitch posh of just oddballs in code enforcement sometimes. And, right. th and that's actually developed now because there's people that want to come into the profession. Some people like myself stumbled into the profession when, where I didn't, I wouldn't say I failed, but I didn't succeed in what I, my previous goal. And I ended up in code enforcement and I fell in it in love with it in day one. And, you know, even today, you know, um, we got to meet you through the internet because you're, you're out there and you're, you know, you're hustling, you're promoting code enforcement. And this is what we love. We love people promoting code enforcement. And that's why I asked, like, was it something that you're like, you know, I want to be a code officer when I grew up? Nobody ever says that, but now they do. <laughs> you know, you have little kids saying, hey, I want to be a code officer when I grow up. And that wasn't our case when in the 2007s, 2008s, we were just kind of assigned to code enforcement or you know, but now people are, you know, hustling to get into code enforcement because it's such a great profession and we do make a difference. No doubt. No doubt. And let me, let me add a key piece to that of something that, that impacted me uh, greatly. And this was as I was a young, I was still, still a rookie and went down to uh, visit to train in Gates, Georgia Association of Code Enforcement, Code Enforcers. And, uh, you know, just found some good information, good networking and and I, I had the opportunity to get trained and, and taught by a gentleman named Marcus Keller. And when I saw 
the way that he interacted with the crowd and, and, the, and the group of students, uh, the way that he explained the ordinances, the way the knowledge that he had, the passion that he had for code enforcement, and most importantly, the professionalism that he brought to it, right? That it's not just, I mean, we're, we're blue collar in a certain sense, but now in some cases we're white collar, <laughs> you know? So, but you need both in order to have that seat at the table. You can't just be a technician and a tactician <clears throat> when it comes to code enforcement if you want to do that at a high level. You have to have, you know, some, some, some high education behind it, um, a good legal understanding of zoning, engineering. You have to be very much well-rounded, right? And that's when I, when I saw that as a one-year rookie, that was kind of my guidepost to say, well, hold on, that is a future. That's what I see that I would want to emulate that. And even though Marks and I didn't communicate very closely through the years, but that always stuck with me. And I kept in touch with him, but that image stuck with me of what a code enforcement administrator, director, leader uh, should exemplify. So I tell him that all the time. I know he's tired of hearing it, but I want to say it publicly because it did make such an impact just to show this is a possibility of what is, is available in our field. You know, uh, Brian, I uh, every time I have a conversation or we have a conversation here on this network and, and our other platforms with our other um, programs that we hold, I always really like to listen intently at some of the things that you share. And I got to say that there's four things that stood out to me just in, in that conversation that we just started. And, and we're only about 10 minutes in, but it was really key points. And so I want to kind of go through some of them. Um, you mentioned, obviously, in your journey and your story and in letting us know how it is that you got here today. You said um, that you had a changed perspective, right? You have an appreciation for this current uh, profession based on coming into it. You talked about passion and you talked about mentorship. And so I, I want to get back to what you said. You know, we have a direct care for the things that we do in code enforcement because it's rewarding. You're a, a social worker, you're a brother, you're an uncle, you're, you know, a father, whatever it may be. We play a variety of different roles and wear a variety of different hats. And I think there's something to be said about what we do um, that ties into what you said about change, perspective, and passion. When you allow for your perspective to change, it starts building and fueling that passion that you have for the work that we do. And I think that that's what's so instrumental for those of us that are in this profession, because we wouldn't be able to do this job because it's tough at times, right? Just when we think we've seen it all, you know, there's one more thing that gets thrown our way and you're like, wow, that's crazy. Or you get that really hairball uh, case where you're like, where am I going to start? How am I going to get this done? And then at the end of that, that uh, compliance time frame, and it gets all done, you're like, oh my gosh, that, that's me. I did that. That's my work. That's my team. They did that. It, it got done. And it's so rewarding. And then you talked about Mr. Marcus Kellum and the mentorship component. Um, we just had a conversation last week with um, one of our other shows, Coffee with My Girlfriends, and we were talking about opportunity, missed opportunity, opportunity when it presents itself, being able to manifest opportunity. And you said something to the effect of, you know, I started out, you know, you know, field work, you know, swinging that hammer, what have you in construction, landed in code enforcement, here I am, I have a great team. Um, we had one story shared by Miss Tana Bryan who mentioned, hey, I was a truck driver. 
And then I saw a sign and it said code enforcement, you know, for an employment and I took a chance. And I think it goes back to that. We fall into opportunity if we allow ourselves to do so. Um, and for those of you that are Kobe Bryant fans like I am, <laughs> um, he he quoted everything negative, pressure, challenges, it's all an opportunity to rise. It's all an opportunity to rise. And I think that's so instrumental with your story, uh, Brian, because it's a true, it's a true indication of what it takes, right? When you fall into that opportunity, when you allow yourself to grow in the opportunity and then have that changed perspective. Um, you know, in, in addition, and I was telling uh, Brian earlier, y'all um, that are joining in, uh, getting to know him a little bit, wanting to know a little bit more about what makes him, I found some really important uh, things that he has done. And so I want to touch on that. So um, early in the earlier in the year, Brian was able to speak on behalf of code enforcement um, in preventing crime and violations in the city of South Fulton. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience? <clears throat> yes, yes, absolutely. <clears throat> that was an interesting, interesting story. Um, interesting situation. So, like I say, we're, we're in the city of South Fulton. I grew up here. Uh, this is the home of <clears throat> a lot of famous athletes, rappers, entertainers. And um, we have a street that's somewhat notorious. It's called Old National Highway, or as we call it, Old Nat L, right? And there's a complex that I actually used to live in, in on Old Nat L, and that's Camelot. And this has been... This is one of those, when you mention Cecilia challenges, you know, one of the things that keep me going every day is the constant challenge of code enforcement. I'm a, I'm a puzzle guy. I'm, a, I'm an introvert by nature. Some people don't believe that, but I'm an introvert. And, uh, you know, I, I, I like challenges, puzzles, numbers, math, and that's what code enforcement does. Every day is a challenge. It's a new problem, a new variable, a new situation that you have not seen before, you know? And so this case with Camelot is a, this could be a whole podcast, it's a individually owned condominium complex, 345 units. Um, and it makes it difficult for enforcement because the HOA is broke, right? So the outside maintenance is unkept, you know, trash, grass, burglary, robbery, homicide, arson, you name it takes place in this complex and it's wide open. For those that have seen the old movie New Jack City, uh, people call it the Carter, which was the complex that Nino Brown ran in, in the projects in New York City. And that's kind of how wide open, you know, to a lesser degree, this complex is. And our enforcement paths are limited because these are individually owned units. And you can't get blood from a turnip. In this case, that's the HOA. So we're just kind of going in circles trying to enforce it. And uh, we were called out in regards to this, uh, this property because there was a it was actually a triple homicide uh, slash arson. So there was a triple homicide followed by an arson that was connected to the triple homicide. And of course, that made pretty big news. And we had, uh, you know, a lot of the county commissioners, city, the mayor, uh, council people were out, as well as community advocates trying to save Camelot. So, you know, it's, it's difficult because I know the truth is that it's a, it's a, it's a, in some ways, it's an unsolvable problem, but at the same time, you want to give some type of hope and bright light. So, you know, we just spoke on what our role would be, and that would be to try to identify the vacant properties, 
Uh, we, our first step is to stop the bleeding. We want to uh, cut off access from criminal elements to that to that property and shut down vacant units and, and ensure, along with fire and police, which we worked in conjunction with, make sure that the, the sprinkler systems are working, make sure they have fire prevention and detection devices in that in those units. And that's what we've been doing. So that's what I was kind of speaking on at that point, just the magnitude of the problem and just presenting, you know, code enforcement's efforts. And, and we pretty much led the way along with fire and police, but we were the tip of the spear when it comes to um, minimizing the damage. We couldn't correct all of it, but we are taking steps toward at least, uh, you know, stopping some of the health and safety violations that lead to easy access for the criminal in, in environment. So we made some progress in that and that was, uh, that's been one of my most interesting, still ongoing, but one of the most interesting cases to date because of how, how big the magnitude is. And, and in your, um, Brian, in your uh, experience, how important is it that you form those partnerships with the police department when you're dealing with these types of neighborhoods? Because some of us in, in code enforcement will never deal with that amount of danger. You know, some of us don't have gang areas. Some of us don't have, you know, uh, drug, uh, little drug uh, fortresses. So right. how do you, how do you, um, how do you partner with, uh, with your local police department and how do you continue that relationship? Yeah. So that Pete, that's a great question. It's essential for us to have because of the area that we're in. Um, and like I say, not to paint the picture that it's, that it's all one way. Like I say, we have some very affluent areas, very nice areas. We have some rural areas. It's just like a hodgepodge city because it yep. was put together. Um, but yeah, but we do, we take safety very seriously. We have our police radios that we can radio into. Uh, you see hanging behind me on my door, I got, we have bulletproof vests where we have uh, in certain areas. Um, so we work directly with PD. Uh, we have great relationships with uh, with the chief and with um, the captain of community policing, who is awesome and, and works with us and anything that we need. Uh, we actually have an incident now. We've had a, 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 a series of threats that came in over the weekend and by, by a person that is probably not right in the head but he sent me a series of maybe 40 texts of profanity lace, just, you know, what he's gonna do, he's gonna kill the next person that comes on the property, he has killer dogs, he has pistols, he has the whole nine yards. So this is somebody that's a violator. So we have, we contacted police, we put reports together, put restraining orders, and they'll be providing some police presence outside of our building, you know, until we can get this guy apprehended and, and kind of get him some help he needs or get him get him arrested. Um, so it's essential to have that that working relationship and that mutual respect with police. And we try to try to nurture those relationships, man, without a doubt. And and I think um, you know when you get these types of safety concerns, yeah, I mean you did everything right. You know you contacted the police. You're, you're taking action. Uh, in our experience, when we we talk to some of uh, victims of violence and code enforcement, a lot of times they brushed off. Oh, they they're not serious, or oh, you know that that you know that guy's just you know having a bad day. We always have to take any threat credible as you know in our experience because you know people aren't going to just say that if they don't have something in them to, to say those things so um well thank you for you know taking that action and you know taking it to as serious a, a matter as it is you know i really appreciate that 
Yeah, and, and getting back to a couple of points, Brian, um, when you did speak on behalf of code enforcement and the role that it plays in the community alongside with with uh, police and fire, um, I think there's, there's something to be said in that, um, you know, for a very long time and truly in the history of code enforcement, we've always been what I'd like to call um, a silent hero right where we do a lot of work a lot of legwork um a lot of it is unfortunately not recognized um but we don't do it for the glory we do it for the safety component of the constituents that we serve and the cities that we serve however we play a vital role in ensuring that we maintain those communities and that we revitalize and that we continue to support them so that they can thrive so that we can deter the crime as as you had already mentioned and what i really appreciate about um, you speaking on code enforcement is not only did you speak on our vital role that we play, but you also made a promise. You pledged, right? I may, you know, I'm, I'm making a pledge to be able to create safe communities throughout our city, um, to be able to do what we can in the sense of code enforcement so that we can go out there and change the, the narrative in our communities. And I think it was really fundamental what you said as far as the difference in affluent parts of your city, right? We all have those where we know that perhaps the um, calls for service in those areas are a lot lower than the other areas that are underserved. And that right there plays a significant role in the amount of crime that you see popping up, um, gang activity, drug activity, human trafficking uh, activity. I mean, it's a variety of different things that end up plaguing those communities because of the fact that you have run down substandard housing. And this is where we come in as far as code enforcement, right? To come in and change that narrative, to change the game of things, to really give opportunities to those um, you know, families that are in these areas, give them a fighting chance. I think what you said about officer safety is also super instrumental. Not only was it the right steps, but the fact that, that Brian, that you recognized, wait a minute, these are threats, whether they're valid or not, I'm gonna take action to protect myself and my staff, my staff and myself right? I'm not going to just brush it off. I'm going to make sure that I set forth some standards. Say if somebody comes in and complains, even if they say, you know, I'm going to do this or I'm going to get my dogs or whatever it may be, right? You still took action. And I think that that's where it all starts. Being able to solidify those relationships with our law enforcement department, because let's, let's call it what it is. We're not law enforcement, right? We're code enforcement. We play a vital role. Um, and I think it's important for us not to necessarily mesh and, and get lost in translation but really know and 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 uh, accept our role and at the same time solidify the relationship with law enforcement so that we can have that lifeline with them being able to get a restraining order being able to get the word out having uh, your your city patrolled to make sure that you guys are safe even extending that to the point of well maybe we're going to lay off this property for a week or two let let the person cool down then we'll maybe go back out in teams or with law enforcement not by ourselves is so instrumental and i think that oftentimes and it goes back to a lot of the communication that we do you know hearing everything that you're saying and watching your demeanor brian i can already tell 
right? Okay, he's very cool, calm, collected. And I think that that is also huge. In fact, I know it's huge because it plays into verbal de-escalation, right? Being able to keep your cool, being able to understand, hey, when I go out there, they're going to know that I'm code enforcement. They're probably going to expect you know, some sort of bad news already. They're going to be edgy. They're going to be defensive because, hey, it's code enforcement, right? Or code compliance. So they're already kind of feeling nervous about it. How we show up plays a huge role, irregardless of what you have on, right? Irregardless of what you're wearing, our attitude, our presence, the words that we choose, the the gestures, the kinesics that we use play a vital role into how we have that communication and that approach. So I cannot applaud you enough for your approach and how you handle your officer safety component. I think that's pretty remarkable. Thank you. Uh, also, I, I don't want to focus too much on the bad area of South Volta because like you said, there's a multiple yeah. area. But one of the things that, you know, like you just said, you know, you're describing the broken window theory, you know, to a T, right. you know, and people forget we're the reverse engineers of the broken window theory because we're trying to clean it back up so people can come back in <laughs> instead of move out. You know, so I, I think people forget that. And, you know, um, that theory is there, you know, it's, it's true because I've seen cities deteriorate people move out, people that don't care move in and it just becomes like, it just grows. So, you know, mitigating those issues lessens the amount of issues that we have. Now, one thing that, um, you know, something in South Fulton that we spoke about was this is a newer city in Georgia, correct? This is the newest city in Georgia. The newest city, yes it is. The newest city. So now, um, can you tell us how that transition was for you? And, you know, how was it, you know, because none of us get to experience incorporating a city or starting a new department. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because that's pretty unique in your story. It is. It definitely is. Um, so I'm a lifelong resident of, you know, this city, which prior to this was unincorporated Fulton County. And what happened, just a kind of a brief history, is that the, it's the, the biggest, county, biggest county in Georgia it houses city of Atlanta. It houses much of the airport, you know, Jackson Hartsfield Airport. So it's it's the, the the county seat is Atlanta, which is the state capital, of course. And uh, so a lot of the northern cities were uh, a little bit more prominent, started to uh, form cities. The northern counties started to annex themselves into cities, to incorporate themselves into cities. And these were the affluent areas. And as they started to take out, you know, bit by bit, you know, Sandy Springs and Milton and different parts of, of that county, it left a blob, <laughs> which was the rest of the county. And and people were cherry picking, right? So people were just cherry picking this part. I like this neighborhood. I like this piece of land. I want to take. So the cities were just kind of picking apart the southern end of the county. And what the residents and the commissioners uh, did was they put a campaign for, hey, before we lose any further ground, uh, let's go ahead and, and incorporate into a city. And that's where the city of South Fulton was formed. So, and if you look at the, the shape of it, it's interesting because it's, you can tell it's not a design city. It is not. A, a design city would be in a, in, a, in a certain shape. This one is it surrounds different cities and it goes in here and it goes out there. So it's a, it's somewhat of a, I'm not gonna say a nightmare, but it's a challenge to enforce it. But so it's growing pains to come with that, 
you know, because the other counties and cities around us were established in 1875 and in 1893, and we're established in 2017. So with that comes, you know, growing pains and, and learning processes and, and things like that. But um, it's great. It's great to, to be honest with you, to be on that on that beginning end of putting this together, the foundational part of it, because we have great potential. You know, we're located in a great location from Atlanta, from the airport, from, you know, the new Hollywood. We have, you know, Tyler Perry Studios and, you know, a lot of different activity going on in this area. And it's just, you know, the opportunities are, are, are vast in the city of South Fulton. So it, it's, it's definitely interesting that the learning curve and the growing pains, but uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't have it any other way. And, and thankfully, the city has, you know, as we talked about before, is that a lot of times code enforcement does not get the recognition, like Cecilia mentioned, and yes, no, it's not about the recognition, right? It's not about name in the paper and accolades. It's not about that. I really, I, me personally, I don't necessarily go for that. I, I, it kind of scares me a little bit, but, um, or makes me uncomfortable. But it's about the reason why I promote code enforcement so much because it's needed. It's needed to know how important this is, how it affects crime, the broken windows theory, uh, safety, uh, you know, engineering, zoning, planning and development. We play an integral role in everything that 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 goes on in the city. We are kind of like the glue to many different departments. One of the few departments that touches everything. So, um, I'm grateful that you know, in this new city, they saw code enforcement being that important to be able to do something historic that. You know, it's not it's not done very much nationwide, and certainly not in Georgia. Is to give us the autonomy and the authority to be independent, and we control our agenda, we control our, our budget, and we can have a greater impact than, than we already have to this point. So, you know, it's it's um it's just it's just a blessing to to be a part of that and to be a part of something new uh, here in the city of South Fulton. So. We'll, we'll be we'll be we'll be continuing to push on and push push forward. Yeah, and and some folks forget that you know um, there's not a lot of standalone code enforcement departments, and if they're standalone, they're actually under planning or building. That I mean, there's different divisions, but for you to have its own department and you being a director, that's that's pretty amazing. You know, so you know a lot of times you know where the we're code managers and we sit under planning. So, uh, you know, the conversation we had is we never get to sit at that table sometimes with the city manager or the uh, police chief to discuss. So you kind of have to backhand deal sometimes yeah, and, yeah, yeah. you know, and with the zoning manager or, or whomever. And, you know, it, it makes things a little tough because you just have to jump extra hoops, uh, you know, extra, extra hurdles. And when you're your own department, you have time with the city manager to say what your needs and um, your expectations are, and, and you get to set your agenda. So that's that's something awesome, right? And, and Pete, on, on that note, is is something I, I do want to uh, want to mention. It just says, you know, this just it didn't just happen. You know, it didn't just happen, and and it's something that was. I got to give kudos to to an outstanding code enforcement team that uh, we have here in in the city of South Fulton. Man, I mean, I'm. I'm talking about just a hands down. I wouldn't. I wouldn't trade. Wouldn't trade them for anything. Um, 
you know, we're right at about 21 total, including admin staff, court team, officers, and supervisors. And, you know, what they've done, and I think this is important for anybody that's looking to looking for leadership and looking at leadership in any field. Um, you know, it's, it's important to trust your team. It's important to empower your team and to, you know, and that's what I try to do. That's what I try to do here is is to allow them to shine, you know, allow them to make decisions, encourage, actually encourage those decisions to be made so that they have ownership of what we do. You know, the accomplishment we made was based on um, the work that we put in. We went from a team that was, when I got here, all right, quick story. When I got here, uh, September 2019, and everybody I met, from the city manager at the time to every council member to every director, they was they they just they all looked at me and they said, "Oh, so so you're the guy, huh?" I'm praying for you. <laughs> I love it. Hey, Pete. The first time I heard, it, I said, "Okay, that's a joke, right? That's just a joke." But this is the God the honest truth. After the fifth or sixth person that I saw had the same response, it was like, "Man, I'm half joking, tongue in cheek, but it's like I'm praying for you because we are the headache department, and and for whatever reason, department that I inherited was not running, or the division at the time was not running at optimal speed. So, when it comes to managing change, I'm coming in with the new program, right? But like I said, I'm not an extrovert. I'm not a, you know, bang my fist on the desk type of guy. Just, um, but one of the things I did want to do was set standards, right? We have certain standards we have to keep. We want to respond to the clients, respond to citizens ASAP. We want to break the mold that that code enforcement or the government is non-responsive. You know, we want to break that mold. So when you call us, you get an answer on the first ring. You get a response back within a, within a couple of hours. You get a resolution to your issue within a couple of days when possible. So that's what that's the kind of program I put in place. But in doing so, inheriting a team of experienced people and some not so experienced, I want to hear first. I, I want to hear what do you think? I want to hear what are we doing well? What are we not doing well? Right. So that way, I don't have to think of all the ideas. We got twenty people in this room. What are your What do you see from your day to day, from your field perspective? What do you see that will make your job easier? And and Pete, sometimes it's just a it's a ten dollar tool, you know, or it's just permission to do a certain process that just hasn't been allowed before. And and so a lot of my my strategy has been just to just to kind of get out of the way and say, hey, that's a great idea, go do it. You know, you know, you know one, one of the things that you know I bring managers on here, and one thing that all good managers always recognize there's staff's talents and abilities. You know, and I think uh, growing, you know, starting from you know maybe you have what two people and you're able to grow a department to four or five or even ten or twenty uh, individuals, it, it speaks volumes of leadership. And you know, one of the reasons that we invite folks like yourself on here is because we see what you're doing out there in the profession, and we really appreciate that. And we want folks to know how important you are and your team is, you know, you're, you're here on a national stage right now. And, you know, you're over here praising your staff, you know, that, that speaks volumes of your leadership and it speaks volumes of your team. You know, we all know that we're only as good as our team. You know, Phil Jackson wouldn't be Phil Jackson without his team. And, and, you know, the bulls or the Lakers wouldn't have been them without Phil Jackson either. So, I mean, there, there's volumes to speak when you have that good chemistry and able to do that. I mean, it, 
you can accomplish anything, you know, and you speak about standards, you know, I'm, I'm all over the country. I'm in the city of Ontario today at a California building officials education week. I'm at a hotel doing this because it's that important to me, you know, you know, Oh, by the way, um, ACE is going to be in Atlanta next year. So the conference is in Atlanta. So I do expect you to uh, take us out and, <laughs> and Cecilia too, take us out and, you know, show us, uh, show us what the uh, uh, Georgia has to offer. It's gonna, we're, we're looking forward to it. Awesome. You know, we already got Mr. Mullins. Uh, you're going to be driving us around too. So <laughs> that's, that's another one. Yeah. So, but um, you know, it's, it's, it's just awesome hearing, all these, um, all these different things. Now, you guys were, what do you call it? You guys were a division before. Now you're a department, right? And before we got on the on the air, we talked about how getting a seat at the table, you know. And now you have a seat at the table where you didn't before, you know. And I said, and my comment to you was, uh, before you were the uh, old cousin at the uh, little kids table. Now you're at the big table. So how how does that differ now? Well. He ask me about ask me not when I see you in Atlanta uh, next year, man. It's, <laughs> it's so far, it's so new. It's um, you know we're man, 25 days in, you know. So I'll, I'll be on my first council call tonight. It'll be my first first council meeting tonight. Um, so so far, it's it's interesting just you know dealing directly with the uh, with leadership, you know, with the politicians. It takes up a little bit more of my time because I. Um, you know, having to deal with some of those additional duties, uh, and, and I pretty much absorbed my old duties as well. I, I wasn't replaced, you know, in my old position, which is, which is fine, but I picked up some additional duties uh, when it comes to, um, you know, the legislative items and, and uh, just dealing directly with those hot issues. So much of which I was doing before. It, it's not a huge change, but I'm sure there'll be some learning curve uh, issues that, I, that I'll go with. Um, but I would like to mention that, you know, the, uh, I guess the, the other side of it is, you know, the, and I, I talked to you about this a little bit before we got on, is, is the ugly side of it, right? Just the, you know, in, in, the, in the sense of just keeping it, keeping it 100% real. Um, and I think this is beneficial, uh, controversial, but beneficial, I think, for other managers and leaders and those that aspire to be managers and leaders, definitely in code enforcement, is that uh, a big part of, of what I do, and I'm transparent. When I, when I came into the door, I said, hey, look, this is, code enforcement is the Mikey of the city, right? If y'all remember the Mikey back in the, in the 80s, the commercial, give it to Mikey, he'll eat it. Code enforcement <laughs> is the Mikey of the city. Right. And, and, and my pet peeve, I have a chip on my shoulder. I will not, I, I will not uh, hide that. I have a chip on my shoulder with some of the level of disrespect that we get is that we get stuff thrown at us in many cases. Not where I am currently. I'm just speaking, I'm not speaking on South Fulton, but I just been talking with <laughs> other jurisdictions. It's something we all can relate to that we get stuff heaped on us. Let Cole do it. Let Mikey do it, right? Let Mikey do it. But yet when it comes to having to see the table, when it comes to quality and pay, when it comes to safety, Many cases in, in many jurisdictions, we get forgotten when it comes to that. When it comes to the CARES Act and things like that, when it comes to pay for bonuses for working through the pandemic, we get we get forgotten about as you no, know, we're not first responders, but uh, many times we do get uh, sorted of the stick. So that is a pet peeve of mine. And what I what what I've strived to do, and what's a constant battle, and this is what I want to get across, is that. Um, 
learn how to diplomatically throw work that is not yours back across that across that field, right? Draw a box around yourself. Know what you know. Know what your audiences say and what they don't say. You know, know them better than anybody else. Any lawyer, any chief, any administrator. Know your ordinance, of course, residents, but know your ordinance. That's your shield. Know that better than anybody else, right? People underestimate the, the amount of legal acumen you have to have to really enforce law, enforce code, rather. You know, zoning codes, engineering, you know, setbacks and, and you know, different things that we have to know. Um, and then once you know that, refuse to take on anybody else's work because oftentimes we're battling perception. And let's say if there's a test with 10 questions on it, right? And code is being grayed out at a 60. You know, we're not happy with code. They're only, they're only getting six out of 10. Well, when you break down those things that we're being graded upon, the perception, you'll find that two of those issues, one of them is parking on the streets. Oh, that's police. Or one of them is barking dogs late at night. Oh, that's police and animal control. Or one of them is litter on the ground on the street. Oh, that's public works. So once you educate the public and once you educate your peers that may be working with you that, hey, this is ours, but this is not ours. You have to take that. You know what I'm saying? I'm willing to be held accountable for everything that's under, that's in my box, in my code enforcement box. I am not willing to be held accountable for anything that falls outside of my purview. And I'm going to insist that whoever is responsible for that, that if they don't know out of, they just may not know the ordinance as well as I do. So I'm going to educate them, you know, diplomatically. That's the first time. The second time, we're going to have to elevate that. If, if you still continue to, when a resident comes with this issue and you say, oh, that's code enforcement. Now, the first time, maybe you didn't know, right? So I'm going to educate you on that. I'm going to show you the ordinance. Second time, maybe you forgot. I'm going to show it to you again. The third time, we're going to have a meeting and a sit down and we may have to bring in leadership to discuss why we're not training your staff or yourself and you're putting these issues, these hot potatoes into our lap. We got enough to deal with. We can't deal with your hot potatoes as well as ours. So that's a controversial approach, and a but it's something that, that I find necessary in order to protect my team and protect what we do is to draw a strong line in the sand about what we do and what we don't do. Educating the public and educating our internal staff uh, as to what those ordinances say and what they don't say. And I agree, uh, Brian, you know, I spoke to uh, Sharon Guidry on one of our first uh, network podcasts and, you know, she, she, she reminded me of the power of saying no, you know, and, and like I said, you know, when me and you had that conversation about, you know, we're a high performance vehicle, a truck, you know, the more you load us up, the less efficient we become until overloading and actually uh, ruins the vehicle. So what's the option? You either take some of the load off or you get us another vehicle, get us the resources. You know, we're one of those, um, uh, you know, as soon as new ordinances pass, you know, mm -hmm. mask enforcement, 
You know, who they gave it to code enforcement, you know, massage parlor regulations, give it to code enforcement, uh, marijuana dispensary regulations, give it to code enforcement. I mean, we just continue to evolve. The more we're evolving, the more and more, the more training we need, because the more, you know, the more we're doing and people forget that. So one of the things is, OK, you want me to enforce this? Give me money for training. Give me money for, you know, for equipment, you know, give me more staffing. And there's an art in doing that as well. And, and there's also an art in saying no, or like you said, bringing the other people to the table and say, hey, this is your responsibility. You know, we'll help you out because we're a city, we're a city entity. But at the same time, this is your responsibility. This is your, you know, we're not going to do this for you. And I mean, that's an important key, you know, but sometimes on the flip side of what you're saying, sometimes, you know, me as a supervisor, I'll say, okay, we can handle this when we're doing this other duty. If we're there already, we'll handle it. But it, and it's a, it's a way to, you know, when, you know, you scratch my back, I scratch your back when we need it, because you have to foster those relationships all the time. It's a constant, you know, but at the same time, you know, you don't want to give somebody a hand and they take an arm. So, you know, I totally understand where you're coming from. Exactly. And, th and that relationship is important. So it's important to you know, your, your public works director, your police chief, your fire chief, you know, we aid in the, your community development, we aid and assist, you know, quite a bit. And we're, we're, that's, that's along with our external customers, code enforcement, I would say is probably the, is the department or division uh, that touches everybody. I don't, I don't, I can't name another one, Pete, that, that really did touches, you know, the legal system. It touches engineering, it touches public works, it touches community development, fire, police. You know, the big seven departments, I think we touch them all. I don't think there are any other departments that, that do that to that extent that we do on a daily basis. So, yes, it's important to get those uh, those relationships. And, and just like any relationship, you know, friend, marriage, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever it is, um, that relationship has to be based upon mutual respect, Right. So. Yeah, you know, and you know, um, going back to what you said, as, as far as really understanding your ordinance, um, there, there's something that, you know, Pete and I like to really hone in on is knowing your craft, you have to know your craft, you have to really be versed in, in the codes that you're enforcing, you have to really have a true understanding of what those mean. And if you don't, you have to really do that work to, to prepare yourself to really understand, um, or to have the backing of, of your officials to, to be, be able to make a call out there in addition to that when you said internal customers are just as important as external customers so your internal customers they may think oh code enforcement let's go ahead and just throw it their way right so it's really important for us to have that communication that open line of communication back and forth to to educate those other internal customers or other departments within our city jurisdiction and let them know this is what we do and these are the things we don't do right um I am a big proponent of meet and greets. In fact, um, I think that they should happen more often than not, where you know the code departments should really be meeting with public works, with law enforcement, with fire, with with engineering, with building, with the techs up at the counter, um, to really have in planning, to really have that open forum so that everyone understands what is enforceable, what we have as far as standings for enforcement and tools for enforcement and what is the, what are the things that we don't follow up on that 
would fall under the wheelhouse of other departments that are internal in our jurisdiction. So um, that I think is a really excellent point because oftentimes we're so we're so auto focused on we gotta educate the community, we gotta get this information to the community, which is so vital. But a lot of the times we overlook educating the internal um, customer base, which is important. Very true, and and, and because and that's that's very key. We we do develop. Uh, those relationships, Cecilia, as much as we can, it's important because at the end of the day, our, our ultimate customer is that citizen. You know what I'm saying? So if we want to, when they when they say, you know, I came to the city and I asked for a permit, right? They don't, a lot of times they don't differentiate between our different divisions and departments. It's the, either the either the city succeeded or the city failed or the county. You know, so we owe it. We owe it. As I said before, we want to break the mold of government being non-responsive, slow, and inefficient. That's unacceptable. So that 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 interaction between those divisions and departments are great because we don't want to. At the end of the day, the customer suffers. The citizens yeah. suffer. We don't want to bounce them around from department to department and and giving them information that's not accurate and correct. So, you know, we, that, that, you said you hit the nail on the head, is that communication and that, that being connected is important because ultimately we are here to serve, you know, they, I know we hear it a lot, but it's actually true. They do pay our salaries if you work for a government entity. So what other purpose do we have other than to serve the citizen? That is the entire purpose, literally, of the city is to serve the citizens. So if we're not doing that, then then what are what are we really what are we really doing? Absolutely, and you know, and you know, Brian, an extension of that, like you said, um, the the direct correlation between our delivery, our customer service, and how the customers are perceiving it is so essential. Because when we hear, even us, right, when we're talking to um, perhaps our mortgage companies or our phone companies and we get passed on from department to department, from caller to caller, we get frustrated. We get frustrated, right? So when, when folks are calling us and we're just passing on that hot potato and we're not really delivering a service when they reference their experience with us they don't say oh that brian or or that cc they say oh that city of such and such those people at the city of such and such right so now we're all bundled in to that lack of customer service so it's really important for us to be able to solidify those internal relationships and really get you know our customer service on point being able to understand you know across the board how we all work collaboratively um, and if we don't have an uh, answer to a question then maybe have a little cheat sheet that says hey I know where to transfer you I don't have that that answer but no worries I got you I'm going to transfer you here go ahead and ask that question they'll be able to assist you whatever whatever right whatever that may be that's why again it goes back to that that strong collaborative relationship forming that we really need and one, one of the things you said Brian was you know, we, we, we're one of the only divisions that touch everybody. And guess what? When we're out in the in, in the public, we're representing everybody because a lot of times some folks, the only time they have interaction with anybody in the city is with code enforcement. So sometimes we have to provide that extra customer service, you know, like, hey, we're here to help you. We're not here just to, hey, I'm code enforcement. This is what you have to do because that opens up to everybody saying, oh, yeah, that city, they're a bunch of jerks. You know, what we want is, you know, to bring that, that that partnership, you know, that community uh, relationship 
when code enforcement touches the public and say, Hey, we want to, we want to help. We're here to help you. We're here to serve you and have that servant uh, mentality. And I, and I think uh, a lot of, um, a lot of folks, especially, you know, when I'm on the internet and I see people complaining about their jobs, Oh, I hate this guy. Or I hate this, this, I'm like, you know, I'm like, Hey, did you give the person options? Did you work with them? You know, a lot of times, you know, they, they're quick to blame the, uh, the violator, but they don't look at their actual, you know, the, their tonality or their, their personal demeanor. I mean, a lot of times, you know, just a smile goes a long way. So it does. It definitely does, man. And, you know, that, that's something, um, something interesting. I, I talk with my team. We meet a couple times a week, right? So we meet for training on Wednesdays, and then we do a, a more of a meeting, logistic meeting on Thursday. And, and something we talked about a couple weeks back was, you know, kind of to your point, Pete, is, you know, perception. And what we talked about was offense versus defense. And that, you know, uh, defense, as far as it relates to code enforcement, how, how I see it is, you know, knowing your ordinances, you know, responding to complaints, responding to fires, putting them out, you know. Um, but if, if what we want to focus on is kind of having our processes to the point that we can have those fires in control and then we can do offense. Offense being community outreach, you know, so we're not just showing up with bad news. We're not always the bearers of bad news. We're also showing up to elderly uh, senior citizen homes, right? So if we can get our processes in place, if our defense is good enough, AKA the Braves, we can have our offense, uh, that was for you, Pete, we can have our offense ready so we can uh, be able to do community outreach. We can promote what we're doing, the good things we're doing in the neighborhood, why we're doing it, what's our purpose. Uh, you know, we're doing truck or treat next Saturday and we have, you know, a, a big setup for that. So. You know, community, the perception of code enforcement, you know, it's just, it's, it's important to be able to, to do that, you know, to be able to show a different face other than, you know, us just coming to enforce and to find and penalize. Awesome. Hey, on, oh, by the way, we have uh, some spotty areas right now because of the rain, so Ceci's in and out. So, you okay. know, <laughs> so we're not, we're not just... <laughs> So, um, but, you know, I, I think this conversation's a long overdue, and especially on, you know, talking about uh, the perception of code enforcement out there and the demeanor. That's a whole different conversation in itself. But, you know, today it's a pleasure to get to know you, uh, you know, your story about your jurisdiction, about the process. And, you know, uh, for those young people looking out there, let me see. We have somebody saying, sorry, I arrived so late. Oh, so. So uh, one of the things that we really, really want to focus, you know, on is, you know, just getting to know folks like yourself. I, I really appreciate you coming on. It's it's such an honor, a pleasure to meet, you know, people from across the country. And I, I know, you know, we had the discussion that we see each other and, you know, now we get to meet. We haven't met in person yet, but we will, you know, you know, in due time. And it's funny because everybody always meets me and I'm like super short. <laughs> you know, I, so today I'm walking in um, down the hallway, and some guy goes, "Hey, you're the guy from the internet." I'm like, "Oh, thanks." You know, it's, it, 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 people listen, people resonate, and you know, I think us bringing a face to code enforcement and you know, uh, humanizing us, you know, mm -hmm. saying, "Hey, we're people too, and we're here to serve you and help you, and we're here to make your community better." I think that's our overall goal, and I think that's the message that you delivered today, Brian. Thank, thank you. And, and Pete, if I could just say, man, I, I appreciate it uh, so much. I've, I've told you this before, but just um, the profile that you bring to code enforcement, man, the, the enthusiasm 
and the passion that you bring is evident. You know, it's evident. You are the internet code enforcement guy. You know, so it's man, it's so important because this field, I'm, it, this field is important to me, and it's an important it's important for for cities around around this country, man. And it's the higher that we can raise our profile and show our professionalism, it's better for the field in its entirety. So. Thank you, man. Thank you, and thank CC. Even though CC dropped off, but it was a pleasure meeting you both. And uh, look forward to seeing you in, in Atlanta uh, in, in in a little while, man. So um, <laughs> I had just one more time, sir. Hey, you took us out of the series. Well deserved. Well played. Well played, sir. So, <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, um, you know, for all those watching, you know, Brian is from uh, South Fulton, Georgia. You know. Um, if you look him up, you you probably get his email. If you have any questions for him, you know I can always reach that uh, p roque at fourleafinc.com If you guys have any questions, uh, but you know one of the things that we do try to do is showcase those that are making a positive impact in our in our profession. And thank you, Brian, for joining us. You know, wish CC was still here to uh, bid you goodbye. But thank you very much, and we appreciate your your time with us. Thank you, Pete. It's been an honor. All right. Thank you. Bye, everybody. All right. Take care.